0: You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. That's right. It is a Sports Fix Thursday. Tommy by phone. I'm in studio. Aaron will be handling all of the post recording uh, production from his home. Um, Tommy's got a column we're going to get to today. Uh, How about Odell Beckham Jr. apparently potentially being on the trade market? So a lot going on uh, in this world uh, right now as it relates to sports. And I think one of the big pieces of news that came out of yesterday, Tommy, is that even Dr. Fauci thinks we can have sports as long as there are no fans in the stands and teams sort of sequester themselves in hotels with proper testing available. Do you believe we'll see sports this summer, which is what Dr. Fauci actually you know, suggested could happen?
1: No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah. And I love the good doctor, but there's more to putting on a sporting event than the actual athletes. Uh, I imagine we're going to sequester the TV people who are involved in, in, in producing the telecast uh The stadium workers who get the the uh the stadium ready uh, I imagine they'll be sequestered too uh that's not going to happen i mean it, 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 this has always been the argument it's more than the athletes involved and if you believe what what i've read from credible sources we're due for a blowback on this uh once we do start emerging in some kind of Social distancing normalcy—that you know there's another wave of this coming—and uh, again, all it's going to take is, is one athlete to test positive for this, to or or to get it, to throw you know the whole plan into array again. So until until you can, I don't see the difference between guaranteeing the safety of the athlete or guaranteeing the safety of the fan in the stands. I don't see the difference.
0: I agree with that. I, I mean, it's sort of what we've talked about here. in In the absence of a vaccine or a medical, you know, prescription drug that keeps people from getting seriously ill, then people are going to continue to test positive. And when they do in team sports anyway, it is going to incapacitate everybody that's come in contact with that person which would mean the rest of the team the team they just played the team that that team just played for 2 weeks even with the testing like yeah. it, even remember you've got an incubation period too like that even if you you know let's just say that you got to September and the NFL season opens on September 10th and it's the Chiefs at Arrowhead on Thursday night Uh, against... Oh, God, I had their opponent and I forget who it was. Um, I think it's the Packers. Uh, I think they play the Packers. No, it's not the Packers. I forget who it is. But anyway, the Chiefs uh, all of a sudden, come out of that game, you know, thirty-five, thirty-one winners, and everybody's so excited. We got an NFL game now. There was nobody at Arrowhead, okay, but still, you know, it was the NBC Sunday night game, and you know, a Thursday night opener, and it was Patrick Mahomes throwing for three seventy-five and four touchdowns, and it was thirty-five, thirty-one, and it's like, oh my god, thank God, okay, we've got football, we've got football for this year, and you know, it was different. It was definitely different to watch this game, you know, without fans in the stands. But look at what we got coming up on Sunday, Tommy, at week one. And then all of a sudden, after the game, Travis Kelsey's not feeling well. And they take his temperature, and it's 101.5, and he gets tested, and he tests positive for the virus. The Chiefs there are done. Go. The Chiefs are done. The team they played, um, this you know, which was the, the Broncos, they're done. Um, and now we get to the first weekend, and oh, by the way, in that one preseason game they had in the shortened preseason, the Chiefs played the uh, Panthers, you know, and now the Panthers are done for week one, and their opponent's done for week one, and by the way, the Panthers' opponent, the preseason game that they played a week ago, they're done, and it just snowballs. This is, yeah. what, this is the part where I, I think it's totally logical to just say, if there's no remedy, you know, medication-wise, then we are one positive test of one player in a team sport from shutting down the league again. So how do you even go into that?
1: This is why, I mean, one of the reasons way back when that I I suggested that, you know, there was not going to be an NCAA Final Four because all it took is one positive test to throw everything into disarray uh now i have an idea now you got to help me out with this because i should know this but i don't is are there any conditions where a person is immune to this vaccine to this disease right now
0: i mean there certainly seems to be you know a lot of a lot of information right that once you get it that you've built up some immunity to it and the only problem with that is i 've also read stories out of South Korea where people are getting it for a second time, but not with serious symptom potential you know the in- influenza you, you're not you don 't build up a total immunity to it. you can get it next year if you get it yes. you know in January of this year, you can get it January of next year too. you know the other yes. thing too that we 're not completely sure of other than just sort of the possibility of of the southern hemisphere being slow to sort of spread, you know, when it first came out there at the tail end of their summer, you know, and so there is some evidence, you know, in Australia, New Zealand, and maybe even, you know, Africa to to a certain degree that maybe warm weather helps, but they're not convinced about that either. They're not completely convinced that that, that warm weather will... The only thing I think everybody's convinced about is that what we've been doing, mitigation, social distancing... Has slowed what this has slowed the spread of this virus significantly. And if we hadn't done that, then it would have spread to many more people, maybe millions of people, and there may be, you know, three to four times the number of deaths at this point. And and that's why this whole reopening of America, which I I guess our president is going to lay out the plan for later today, there are a lot of people concerned that with that will come and you know, as you said, I think a wave two.
1: If, if if you have certain antibodies, are you are you immune from it?
0: Well, I mean, first of all, there's no antibody test right now. They said that that's a very important thing that they're you know they're trying to develop to find out who's had it, and then the presumption would be if you can identify who's had it. Okay, if they don't have symptoms anymore, then they're through it, and the hope is is that they've got some immunity. So, with respect to sports, if you're, you're going in that direction, you could take all of the players that, that test positive for the antibody. Okay, so they've had it and now they're immune to it and they can play, you know? But again, that assumes that you build up an immunity where you can't get it again. And by the way, even if you get it again and you're not seriously threatened by it by getting it for a second time, it doesn't mean that you can't transmit it to somebody else.
1: Okay, another, this is a perfect I don't attribute. have the answer to
0: these questions, by the way. I'm just right. talking them through I know. based but, on but what seems to be logical.
1: Yeah, I was leaning towards the idea of having a CFL, a Corona Free League. Right. You know, where, where if you pass a certain test, okay, you can play. Uh, and anybody who didn't pass the test can't play, and you make up three. And this would give an opportunity for everyone who wanted to play professional sports to get in line
0: and say, "Well, you don't have <laughs>
1: enough players. You know, I can play. Uh, I I I have got the antibodies. Let me let me play cornerback this this weekend. Or let let me let me play third base uh for the Nationals uh this week. Uh I was going to suggest that if look, the president can open up claim to open up whatever he wants, uh as far as I know, it it's still going to be a state by state decision. Uh but right now uh, if, if conditions the way they are, if things were quote opened up, would you change any of your behavior?
0: Um, no, because I'm already working, and I would all, and I, I I think for the time being, without you know the things we've talked about, um, I'm going to be. I'm going to be more on the cautious side. And I know some people say, you're getting up, you're leaving the house, you're going to work. You have no idea how safe this is, like for me. I mean, I walk around with hand wipes, you know, uh, drenched in rubbing alcohol, using them to touch every door handle, coming into a studio that no one's allowed to come into. I don't let the, the, the trash pickup people come in. I do that. Um so I, I'm in a different position, I think, as I continue to work than some people who are considered to be essential that are coming and in, in probably putting themselves at greater risk going to work. So I'm going to... But, gonna, look, but if
1: they, let's, say, let's say they open up restaurants.
0: I'm not going to, go to a out. restaurant right now. No, I'll continue to do carry okay. out and curbside pickup. No, I'm not going to go to a large gathering event. Neither am I. Nobody in their what right mind your... is going to do that right now. Unless... I know
1: that. I, I, well, there's there's lots of people not in their right minds.
0: I understand you that. Know? You know what? But, uh, quick, a quick, I, cost... I, would,
1: I would, It'd be easy for me not to change my behavior. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it'd just be easy for me, <laughs> like you know, like my oldest son said uh, a couple when this first started. This is a catastrophe that's built for Laverne. <laughs> yeah.
0: Except, I mean, we well... we. Were,
1: We were made for this.
0: Well, Shelly's misses you.
1: Yeah, I know that. But, I mean, sitting around and doing nothing and just being able to reach the remote and work it, this is right up our alley.
0: I mean, yeah, I I, I understand. I mean, we we talked about this last week. I think that there are many people that this has actually worked for, you know, to a certain degree. Like they were socially distancing themselves already and now they've got an excuse to do it. And they don't have to make an excuse to <laughs> anybody for blowing them off, you know, going out or going to some place for dinner or whatever. But, you know, it's really, I think really, you know, uh, this is far from po- a political discussion. What I'm about to mention, regardless f- of the person Responsible for making these decisions, Republican, Democrat, any administration. The challenge right now, you know, of trying to figure out and balance the risk of not opening up our economy versus, you know, uh, opening it up is really... I mean, I can only imagine the challenge right now in that. It's like on one hand, if you open it up, many more people are going to die. On the other hand, if you don't, many people are probably going to die. Because you know what kills people, Tommy? Poverty and depression and all all of those things that we are leading. I mean, I've seen some of the pictures of three-quarters of this country lives paycheck to paycheck. There are people... Where the government cannot support them with, you know, the the, ch- the monthly check they're going to get here and their families and food's going to become an issue. And and these are the this is these are challenging times, man. I mean, I you know you can think whatever you want to think about the person responsible for making these decisions, but regardless of whoever that person was is and or, or could, could have been, it's a real logistical you know um it is an emotional it is the the, the challenge of trying to figure this thing out is it has to feel overwhelming and by the way probably getting advice both sides from lots of smart people like lots of smart people saying if you don't reopen this economy we're going to have much bigger issues three, four, or five months down the road than what this virus can create. And then medical people saying, if you open up this economy and you send people out there, millions of people potentially could die. It's a real, it's a real challenge.
1: Yeah, it, 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 it is a, a real challenge. You know, what, what I think the best way to describe it is picture yourself being the mayor of Amity in
0: Jaws. <laughs> During Jaws? Yeah,
1: and 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 think think of that mayor. That's the guy. That's the model. right He
0: opened there. up the beaches,
1: and, and then you saw him after the beaches were open, and there were more more shark you know more shark attacks. He was talking, mumbling to himself. After that, I mean, that's the model right there, the mayor of Amity.
0: You know, Matt M- Matt Hooper. You know, uh, Richard Dreyfus. He tried to tell him. He tried to tell yes. me, pointed to the picture of that funny picture, and he said, actually, the proportions are pretty close to accurate. <laughs> and he tried to tell old mayor whatever his name was from Amity Highland, you got to close the beaches. And old Chief Brody, he didn't know what to do, uh, but he tried to convince him too. And then, of course, you know, we had the, the poor little boy with the mother in all black that came up and, and smacked Chief Brody right in the face after losing her son on his, uh, on his boogie board. Um, that was. The,
1: do, you, do you remember when you saw that movie?
0: Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, Tommy, I saw that movie 15 times, and I'll tell you why I saw it so much. The old Jennifer Cinema in Upper Northwest. Do you remember that movie theater? Uh, it's before my time. Okay, on Jennifer Street, Northwest. It's right where WMAL is. Um, right there, right across the street from Chadwick's in Chatter. Okay. Um, okay. It used to be um, in a building that had a bank that essentially was sort of at the mid level of the theater for some reason. Like, if you walked in through the bank, you actually could walk into the theater below where they took tickets. So my friends and I, and we were young, but we, my my friends, when I was a young kid and a child of the seventies. We were um, we certainly uh, got into our fair share of trouble. I mean, honest, <laughs> you know, really uh, trouble that didn't really impact people other than, you know, throwing crab apples at cars and nearly ca- causing accidents and, and things like that. But we snuck into Jaws, and then I think it was the next summer we snuck into Bad News Bears, the original one with Walter Matthau and Tatum O'Neill. Yeah, because
1: Jaws came out in the summer of 75. 75,
0: and I think the next summer was Bad News Bears. And that summer, that summer of Jaws, I think we snuck in through that bank, below that ticket taker, ten times over like a three-week period to watch (laughs) Jaws. I think maybe we paid for it the first time and that was it. Like, it was amazing they never figured out how, you know, all these kids were sneaking into the theater. Um but yeah, uh, I I mean that movie. That movie did scare. I was a. We, I love the beach, and I always and I still to this day love being in the water at the beach. Um, but I remember that summer was a bit different. Yes,
1: absolutely. Same with me too. I went at the end of the summer. I went with my wife, and then my girlfriend's family, did it to Wildwood for the first time for two weeks, and I remember everybody on the beach. All they could talk about was Jaws and the fear of going in the water. At at that uh, time, yeah, I, I absolutely remember that. And then I remember reading the book. I actually read the book uh, later on, and uh, they didn't have this in the movie. That Hooper has an affair with the with the chief's wife.
0: Oh, that's in uh, Peter Benchley uh, wrote the book, right? Yeah, you're yeah. you're telling me, and I never read the book. You're telling me that that Matt Hooper has an affair. With uh, with Chief Brody's wife. Yes.
1: yes. Really. Yes.
0: Oh, that's. I don't devil. remember
1: much else, but I remember that saying. Wow, there was no no inkling of that. No. In the movie.
0: No. I but mean, you they
1: didn't need it. I mean, the movie was almost perfect.
0: The movie was perfect the movie was perfect, but your analogy to the mayor and what's going, it's like, do we open up the beaches and potentially, (laughs) you know, risk lives, but, but, you know, not risk business, or do we shut down the business and we lose, you know, all of our summer revenue? Um, Yeah. yeah. I mean, on a smaller scale, but it's, it's, it's the right analogy. It is tough right now. I mean, I, I can only imagine the information um that our leader and leaders are getting right now i I certainly hope that the right decisions are made but i don't know what they are and and in so many ways and i know that we've gotten repetitive saying this but in so many ways i'm not sure how they really know i mean like i was talking to my cdc neighbor yesterday actually first time i've talked to him in, in a couple of weeks we sat outside with our dogs and you know six seven feet away from each other and had a 30 to 40 minute conversation And, you know, he repeated something to me that he had told me like a month ago um, that SARS and MERS both died out, but there's no medical explanation from anybody as to why these viruses are so incredibly unpredictable. And I said, well, is it possible that this one could just die out, you know, for whatever reason? And he said, of course that's possible. Um, He said, the big difference is this one spreads so easily. It's so contagious. It spreads so easily um, that the potential for a longer life cycle without a vaccine is greater, you know, and... He, he agrees, too, that the, med, the medical answer comes before the vaccine answer. But u- ultimately, he said to eradicate something like this, you need a vaccine. You know, and, and by the way, then you need everybody to take the vaccine. You can't have the anti-vacciner people say, I'm not taking this vaccine, like they, they've done with things like polio and, and chickenpox right. and measles over the years. You know, um, you know, it's, it's funny that when you talk to medical people about those people, they really get upset, you know, and they, they essentially say there's nothing more selfish than that. There's nothing, you know, know. no matter what your beliefs are, you're putting so many people at risk when you don't take uh, a vaccine that's been proven safe and is helping to eradicate a deadly disease. Um, how about the information that came out last night from various government sources, about how this whole thing got started in that Wuhan lab? Did you read that?
1: I read. Uh, I read glimpses of that. I about mean, how it, it may have started in a lab.
0: Yeah, with, with in a lab where you know. By the way, most countries have labs like this where they're studying, you know, very dangerous medical viruses. Um, Listen,
1: I live. <clears throat> I live within a mile of Fort Detrick. That's what they do up here. They do in Fort Detrick. I didn't they, know they that. Biological warfare and and things like that. That's what they study up here. I mean, Fort Detrick is one of the most dangerous places in the United States.
0: Um, yeah,
1: that's what I, they do up
0: here. I, I, I didn't. I, I didn't know that. Had yes. no idea. Um, that's interesting. I I, um, I know of a facility out in Gaithersburg that does a lot of sort of bio, um, and you know, uh, virus related work, you know, because really that Rockville corridor is very much the biotech corridor of this area, you know, for, for many years now, obviously, I think most people know that it's like, you've had the tech corridor out in Virginia and sort of the biotech corridor out in upper Montgomery County. And I, 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 when I was in a past business, we had an office out in Gaithersburg, and it was right across the street where people were telling stories about what was going be you know going on in the buildings behind these you know very tall fences and the, the kind of testing that was going on. And I always found that that, that, that to be really interesting. But anyway, for those that missed... Well, I'm, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, well, you go I'm pretty
1: ahead. sure that in, in the Americans, there's, there's a, a couple of episodes where the Russians try to steal something from Fort Detrick. And I think they pretty much mentioned Fort Detrick in in, in one of the the Americans' episodes. So, yeah, this is, I mean, that's that's what they do up here. It's just like a mile or two from where I live in in my Fortress of Solitude.
0: Well, the net of this story, and, you know, which I guess, you know, is sourced from, Various government officials. So, um, you know, uh, believe what you want to believe, but I, it's gotten a lot of traction here in the last twenty-four to thirty-six hours. I think is that basically this Wuhan, um, virolo- you know, virology lab was not, you know, prob- probably didn't have the same safety measures in place that that ours do in Fort Detrick and other places. An intern basically was exposed to this coronavirus he infected a girlfriend they traveled and all hell broke loose and of course once he got it so he, he
1: didn't he didn't eat a bat or anything like well,
0: that well uh, yeah, apparently they went to a wet market and maybe potentially you know I don't know it, it basically that's how it started is an intern was accidentally infected and then of course it being china and hardly transparent um and helpful at this point um, they tried to shut it down but it it got out and it spread from there you know i think everybody knows at this point that it's a pretty damn good bet that this thing originated in china you know yeah. and, and and the dangers of something like this you know originating in a country like that um you know obviously do you war... know
1: anyone do you know anyone who's who's
0: gotten this yes i do now okay they they're healthy it's actually more than one person it's it's a um it's a family, um, and they're healthy, and they're going to be okay, but uh, several people in the same house uh, tested positive for it.
1: Well, I just found out yesterday, last night, that my best friend growing up in Brooklyn, New York, just died from the coronavirus.
0: Is this the guy that you mentioned last week or the week before? No. No, no, no,
1: no, no. no. This is, this is a, a guy that I grew up with in Brooklyn who I, I – I, hadn't seen or talked to probably since I was 13 or 14. Uh, but uh, I just found out from his brother's Facebook page that he died yesterday from the coronavirus. Now he was in, his name was Tommy Lentz He was in uh, a nursing home in New Jersey because he had suffered a stroke a few years earlier. So he was already in, in you know, he was, he was susceptible to this, uh, but he passed away. But this is the first person I know or, or I know of uh, who who had uh, who's had the coronavirus.
0: Yeah, that's too bad.
1: And, I mean, we were inseparable when we were kids growing up in Brooklyn. I mean, it was this me, Tommy Lenty.
0: Was this the person Tommy that you Tarnas. walked home and you walked by the Chinese laundromat?
1: I don't want to implicate him in that crime. Okay. I don't know if he was part of that crime <laughs> or not. <laughs> but, do you want to uh, refresh was,
0: everybody's memory as to what that no, crime was? No, no, <laughs> I've,
1: I've said too much about that. <laughs> okay. it is, all right. You know? But uh,
0: <laughs>
1: but this was the guy I used to, you know, play stickball with,
0: punchball
1: with, used to flip baseball cards with, used to argue about baseball with, used to go to Met games with, uh, up, and, until we left Brooklyn when I was 11 years old. And even then... He came up to visit me in the Poconos once, and I came back to New York to stay with him once. But by the time we were 13, 14, we just lost contact, uh, period. Now, I, I, I connected a couple years ago with the third Tommy, uh, a, a, another friend of ours, Tommy Tiernan, uh, who was in D.C., and we got together for dinner, and we correspond back and forth. But uh, It was all Irish Tommy, and
0: Italian, wasn't it?
1: Yes, it was. <laughs> That was pretty much it. Tommy Taron and Tommy Lenti and Tommy Levera.
0: The three Tommies.
1: This Tommy Lenti was a kid I smoked with when I was eight years old.
0: Cigarettes or weed? No, cigarettes. Yeah.
1: Cigarettes. I always tell people I started smoking when I was eight and I quit when I was 12. Uh, Cigarettes. And and there was this time where, uh, let me just share this with you, we, uh, there were like bigger kids. There were like the little kids like us. And then there were the bigger kids, like the juvenile delinquents who kind of ran the, the block, you know. And, uh, and, uh, you know, at one, I guess they found out. I don't know how they found it out. Maybe somebody's mother told them. But they found out Tommy Lentie and I were smoking. So we're walking down the street one day, and these, these, these older kids from the neighborhood, Pull up in a car, jump out, grab us, throw us in the car, and take off. And for 45 minutes, they scared us to death that if they ever caught us smoking, that, they were, that, that we would wind <laughs> up in, in, in the harbor. Smoking? Smoking cigarettes. Now, we're talking about guys who, who, who were in and out of juvenile hall, whatever that was back then. We're talking and about they, and they were the they were with. just
0: they were just basically you know uh, they they were just trying to scare you this this, this was yes. yeah um, they were how much older how much older were they than you
1: uh 15 16 we were like eight nine you know so they were about seven or eight years older than us they were scary guys I mean these sure. were guys that got into 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 gang fights yeah. and stuff like that back then but it's, I find it <laughs> like like, I, I' funny that they watched out for us and tried to do this scare straight thing with us about smoking cigarettes. It didn't work. We kept smoking, but I always wondered if one of our moms didn't say something to them, or some. I just don't know. It was like this, 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 this moment where they found something in their heart to watch out for these kids in between committing crimes.
0: <laughs> that's that's hysterical. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, you know. Like, uh, smoking, I remember, I definitely smoked cigarettes before I smoked pot, but, you know, again, like, I, my neighborhood as a kid, I think you and I actually um, are, are similar in our child, childhoods, just the scenery was different, you know, you, you growing up in Brooklyn and me growing up so, sort of an in in suburban Washington, but we had, I think, sort of the same kind of, of shenanigan friends, you know, mischievous uh, friends, I mean, I my best friend through high school, we got in we got in a lot of, you know, innocent trouble. But I've told you the story about, you know, stealing the golf cart and using that to deliver newspapers for like a month straight. <laughs> um, and and we, you know, we owned a car at 14 years old. My, my friend Mike and I, we bought a car when we were 14. We had it for, you know, basically, you know, three, four months. Um, but. Cigarettes, by the way, hated cigarettes the first time I smoked cigarettes and still to this day have never been a cigarette smoker. I, I just haven't. But I do remember the first time I smoked weed, it was a, a girl in the neighborhood who was older and she babysat all of us when we were younger and she was the one that basically bought weed and introduced it to all of us who were like, you know, 12, 13 years old in the neighborhood. Um, and so, and and I wasn't a big weed guy at all, not at all. I mean, I I was always the guy that if somebody had it, I would smoke it maybe through college, but then after that, not, not at all. I mean, I'm thinking about smoking it now um, or certainly trying, you know, um, try, trying uh, some sort of, uh, CBD uh, answer uh, these days, but right. but um, yeah, it was just you know it was typical you know uh, pre-teen shenanigans, you know all of it. Yeah, and, and well,
1: I didn't. I mean, we didn't come along. I mean, we when you did that, uh, I was eighteen the first time I smoked weed, yeah. and I was up in the poke. I was at a party up in the Poconos. Uh, I wasn't going to college yet. Uh, and I, I liked it. I mean, you know, uh, there were kids, uh, my age who had smoked early. I remember there were some kids in high school who smoked and I was scared to death to do it then. So I didn't do it. Uh, but, uh, then when I went to school in Miami, the wheels came off. That was it. I mean, that, that was it. The, the, the wheels, the wheels just came off. It was, it was, it was a much more regular occurrence for a while, uh, after that.
0: Um yeah. I I whatever. I don't even know how we got in. Oh, we got into this because your friend passed away. That's sad. Yeah. Um
1: yeah. it it is sad. Uh I wish I had connected with him at some point
0: uh
1: over over those years.
0: You know, I'm just thinking back to my na- my young, you know, 70s neighborhood friends. I don't think I I think on Facebook several years ago, I connected with this guy, Tommy, who was uh, lived across the street from me and was probably my best friend when I was, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, but I, they, they moved and didn't go to the same high school, so lost touch with them. Uh, the, the, you know, it's funny because actually one particular person I heard from on Facebook, you were talking about the guy that you would argue sports with all the time. So there was this guy, Andy, who lived in the neighborhood. His sister, by the way, was my age and he was two years older. His sister, Laura, was the only person in the neighborhood that could challenge me at basketball. She was really, really good. She was a great basketball player. <laughs> and there was this hoop in this one family's backyard where we lived all the time playing hoops. And Laura was a really – she was a really good athlete. But she was one of those girls who got to high school, didn't want to be an athlete. She should have been because she, she would have been a, a really good high school athlete. Anyway, this guy Andy, who was two years old, older than me. Tommy, do you remember – the sports illustrated board football games no oh my god they were great um, this basically sports illustrated produced these board games for nfl and college football um I, i'm i'm googling it right now so i can get the exact name of the uh of the game let's see it's got to be here somewhere Uh, Here it is. It's It's on eBay. They've got it available. Sports Illustrated Pro Football Pay Dirt College Football Bowl Game. And then there was the NFL game as well. And basically, they would give you sheets, offensive and defensive, for the teams for the previous year. So, you know, strengths and weaknesses, and you would have play calls, and you would roll some dice on a play you called, and then your opponent would call a defensive play, and it would end up with, like, you know, a net three-yard gain or a net, you know, whatever it would end up with. And this guy, Andy, um, who had moved into the neighborhood, he was the only guy in the neighborhood who loved sports as much as I did. We would sit there for hours and play this Sports Illustrated (laughs) pro football game, and they had moved in from Michigan, So he was a big Lions fan, and I was a big Redskins fan. But what I really remember – I'm sorry, he didn't move in from Michigan. He moved in from New York. The people that were in the house before uh, came in from Michigan. He was a big Mets fan. They they lived in in Bergen County, northern New Jersey, before they moved down here. Right. And what we would do is in the backyard, we would play one-on-one wiffle ball. Where we would play a World Series, the Mets against the A's. The A's, for whatever reason, after the Senators left, became my favorite team because I was a, I, I was a, a bandwagon jumper. Really, I loved Vita Blue. I loved Reggie Jackson. You know, I loved Catfish Hunter and Holtzman and all those guys on those a, great A's teams of the mid seventies. Right. And we would play out, you know, basically an entire series. Mets versus A's World Series where, you know, we would have various areas if you hit the ball to this area it was a single. If you hit it to this area it was a double. This area triple. This area home run. You know, this area is a ground out, you know, or whatever. And we would sit there and play the whole games. And he knew, he knew more about baseball than anybody. And I knew more about football and basketball. And the two of us would just sit there and play these games and then argue for hours upon hours about sports. I think every sports fan who was a kid had another kid in the neighborhood that they argued with about, you know, about sports.
1: So, do you know where this guy is now?
0: No, have no idea. I I heard from him and his sister, I think on Facebook a few years back. Um the, Laura was my age. We went to high school together and then I I t- I think probably I've run into her at like a reunion or something and asked about him. But I think he and I exchanged messages on Facebook and we, you know, like five, six years ago when I was actually on Facebook and talked about these, you know, who, you know, who won the the Mets A's Wiffle Ball World Series in 1977, you know, or 1978. Um, Yeah. Those were, always, you know, what that was back when you pretty much didn't have any other option but to create your own fun.
1: Yes, absolutely. There were no video games then.
0: No, I'm surprised no. you don't remember the Sports Illustrated uh, football game. What was the big baseball board game? I've... Well,
1: there were a couple. One was ATBA. It was called a card game with 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 boards and stuff. But I didn't do a lot of that. I really didn't play a lot, a lot of that. Did you
0: play a lot of board games in general, non-sports board games? Because I did.
1: Uh, played a lot of Monopoly in, in yeah. college, in particular. We played Cutthroat Monopoly in college, where people got into fights. I mean, there were. I mean, I can remember playing on, on Monopoly board with blood stains on it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so uh, we, we played a lot of Mono- a lot of uh, like all night Monopoly games. Yeah, you know, making up the rules as you go along. And I played, I mean, my dad taught me how to play chess, you know, when I was growing up. And I played a lot of chess a couple of summers at the park we used to go to. Uh, One time everybody uh, was into playing chess. So I played a lot of chess, but not a big board guy. I didn't play Life or Partizzi.
0: Yahtzee Yahtzee and Monopoly were our big games. And if we were at the beach, that was a constant, you know, every day, every night thing. Um we we've been talking now for about thirty minutes about any every everything but sports. Sorry about that, by the way. But you know these are unique times we're living in, and, yeah. and everybody is talking about other things as well. Um, let's get to some sports. Would you like to? Absolutely. By the way, what's your what started this was? Are we going to have sports or not? Fauci says maybe without crowds, etc. Your prediction is no sports until when?
1: Until, peop- until people can have a reasonably safe feeling that they're not going to risk their lives by going out. Uh, and, uh, look, I, I, th- I think from what, everything I've heard, uh, whoever you know, the people that are calling the shots in California, uh, from the governor on down to local officials, seem to have a pretty good handle on reality here in terms of what to expect. Uh, nobody knows for sure uh anything but uh everything you know if 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 our culture starts in california and moves east i'm going to figure that the coronavirus decisions do as well so they've been pretty cautious in california i think you might not see nfl football uh, you might not see any sports the rest of the year period not even nfl football in 2020
0: You know, um, Mark Maskey and Dave Shinan had a a story in the Post last night um, about the NFL's contingency plans. They're creating tons of contingency plans for, you know, no crowds, um, partial crowds, uh, a start to the season on time, a delayed start to the season. In fact, You know, my favorite time of year, mock schedule time of year, and I'll have my mock schedule out in a few weeks, and the NFL schedule is due out May 9th. One of the things that came out of that story was that when the NFL releases the schedule, they may have a contingency schedule that they release also that would account for a delayed start to the season, which I think is pretty interesting. Like, I, I mean... How can you I mean, you can have a contingency plan, but there's got to be a contingency to the contingency at this point. Um, But when we get the actual NFL 2020 schedule in roughly three weeks, we are going to have um, apparently not just the schedule if everything goes well, but the contingency schedule. So I promise you with my mock schedule, I'll only subject you to the pain of one mock <laughs> schedule, not a contingency schedule as well. I'm not going to do that to you. But, um, yeah, uh, they – they uh, yeah, I mean, look, the NFL and Maskey and Shine had pointed this out in the story. They, you know, they're really – in, a, in an advantageous situation, right? Because they get to sit back and see what happens with other leagues. You know, they didn't have to make the first call on this. And by the way, at this point, the the free agency continuing and the draft, which is a week from tonight, it certainly doesn't feel inappropriate or wrong that the NFL's continued to operate you know, their business, um, you know, I, I think, you know, some of that's been, a lot of that's been exaggerated. I, I can't wait for the draft. Imagine what the ratings are going to be next Thursday night for the NFL draft. Um, but, but what comes after that, Kevin? I know. Well, Tommy. That's,
1: that's the cliff. That's the
0: cliff. Yeah. Well, for, 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 for I got long. a list of 25, uh, you know, July <laughs> ideas that we're going to have to basically roll out in early May, it looks like. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but the NFL, the, the point is, the NFL doesn't have to make a decision right now. You know, they've well, got plenty of time. I think I a
1: quote or heard, or heard a quote from an uh, unnamed NFL official that basically said, the other leagues need to go first.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They've got to go first. You know, the only yeah. sport that's really been aggressive and it makes sense is golf. I mean, they are now planning a resumption of their tour schedule, you know, at Colonial in Fort Worth, which, by the way, is literally uh, an eighth of a mile, quarter of a mile from TCU's campus in Fort Worth. Um, but they're re- they're going to resume with the Colonial uh, Charles Schwab on July 11th through the 14th. Just no spectators. You know, and that makes sense to me that golf can – can can play. You don't you don't have to be within six feet of anybody playing a golf round, um, and with no fans there and only television cameras, et cetera, they, they should be able to pull it off. They've, they've revamped their entire schedule. They're going to start playing. The PGA Tour is going to start playing on June 11th through 14th, and they you know have a full summer slate now planned out going into you know, the first of three majors this year, which will be the PGA in early August, and then they're going to have the U.S. Open in mid-September, and then the Masters in November. I know you don't care about that, but I have to tell you, I swear to you, if I have golf to look forward to each weekend, it'll be a difference maker for me. I I can see that. I love watching golf. I'm in golf pools. Um, and it'll be live sporting event, live competition. The bottom line is, with respect to no crowds, it's not that big of a deal anyway. There are a lot of, you know, there's a lot of golf that you watch on the weekend where golfers will be on certain holes where there aren't a lot of fans lining the fairway. Um, I, I think that'll be that'll be nice to see.
1: So you're not going to miss people screaming out from the crowd. You, the man.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to miss that at all. Uh, You know, I I think, you know, especially if Tiger's playing in some of these tournaments, you know, you're going to see, you know, just an incredible number of certainly golf fans aren't going to miss it. And then sports fans are going to be like, oh, Tiger's playing. It's a live sporting event. I might as well tune in because they do anyway. You're probably right. Um, But yes, the NFL definitely has an advantage. College football, Jack Swarbuck, the AD at Notre Dame said, if campuses are closed, there are no sports, college sports. Personally, yeah, my
1: impression is college football, uh, they, they've determined that they need crowds more than, the, more than the NFL does.
0: I don't know why they would feel like they need them more than the NFL does. I mean, I understand that there are larger crowds. There are more, you know, sort of invested crowds sometimes at college games than pro games in a lot of college places. But, you know, there are a lot of college games that are played on the weekends that are played before half-empty stadiums, too. You know, that 12 o'clock kickoff in, you know, in, in the, uh, in the Mac, you know, it's not like you're playing, uh, you know, in front of a packed house. You, it, I, I, college football to me would be great for this country to have that back too. I don't know why it's tied. Of course, I understand why, because it's all about these are student athletes. But let's be real here for a moment. You know, even if campuses aren't back on campus and these students are taking online classes in the fall, I don't know why, if the NFL moves forward without crowds, college football couldn't.
1: I'm not sure why either, but that's been the position that I've read from people in college football, in the business of college football.
0: It's big TV money. You know, you're pushing off. And maybe never get back. Maybe never get back. Um let me let me just quickly mention to everybody, and I've been mentioning this on the podcast all week. My radio show now is six a.m. to nine a.m. on nine eighty, also ninety five point nine FM. Also, download the Team Nine Eighty app. It's easy to listen to the shows that way. Also, at the team nine eighty com. Same thing if you're in your home with Alexa or Google Home. Uh, just you know, just tell Alexa that you want the Team Nine Eighty. I'm on from six a.m. to nine a.m. Uh, Yesterday, if you you missed it, I had Mike Loxley on the show. He was excellent. You know, he's basically either familiar with um, by coaching or by recruiting almost all of the players that are in the first round, projected first round of this draft. You know, at Alabama, at Maryland, and all the places, he's been such a master recruiter, and he's so familiar with so many of these guys. It was a really good conversation uh, with him. Um, and you can go back and listen to that uh, at the Team980.com or the Team980 app. Um,
1: so what's the, what's the deal? Okay, speaking of radio shows, yeah. what's the deal with you and Chris Russell? What, what is this stuff I'm reading on Twitter? Is there
0: some kind of feud between you and Russell going on? <laughs> no. No. There's no feud. No really? feud. No, 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 no. Why? why? Is, is anybody – are people saying that there's a feud between Russell and I? That's not true. I don't
1: know. There's a lot of a lot of back and forth. Like you insulted him or something like that. Oh no, no, Did no, you? no,
0: no, no. No, no, no. In fact, he texted me and he said I he goes, I love you. And and but by the way, just R- Russell, you and I you've worked with him at the other station too, but we both had yes. a chance to work very closely with Chris Russell at 980. And I love Chris. And and I and I've always loved Chris. Let me just tell you something about Chris Russell regardless of what you think about him. Um Russell was a great teammate. Okay, he was you know, not everybody in this business, you know, is helpful. And you know, a lot in, and we were lucky. We had a lot of good people at 980. And I'm sure you felt the same way about the other station. I'm not going to ask you to comment on that. But at 980, we all really it was sort of like a club, especially when we were when we were in Rockville and we were all in there every day and and, and there was definitely sort of a a club feeling to it and almost a fraternity aspect to it. And Russell Russell was incredibly team-oriented. You know, Russell would do anything. He would come in and work any shift. If you asked him to do something like, hey, you're going to be at the park tomorrow, will you get me such and such to be on the show tomorrow? He would go do it. Um, I just always I always liked Chris. And Chris on the air, you know, is, is a character. He is a character. And so – and by the way, I, I think he always did a really good job as a beat reporter for our station. He's good. He's an underrated
1: reporter. Yes.
0: I've had this conversation with him on the air
1: when we've done shows together, uh, and I've tried to counsel him
0: uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) when he'd be under attack. I would always said to him that sometimes your bluster gets in the way of people recognizing your talent, that you're a very good reporter. He is a good reporter. Uh, He breaks stories. He does a good job. But what gets in the way is yeah. the WrestleMania. right? That's what gets in the way. Yes, the the whole you know, woe is me. Uh, I hate traffic. Uh, what am I supposed to do next? <laughs> I
0: know, I know, I know. No, that's that, <laughs> the, the
1: whole the whole discombobulated act.
0: Tommy, I had that conversation with him in my office at nine eighty many many years ago. I'm like, you know, you're you're good. If you stay away from all of the stuff that you just described, like, oh, my God, it took me hours to get in here. All Nobody cares about that stuff. Focus on the stuff that you're really good at because it's really good. And, and anyway, the net of it is I always liked Chris. I still like Chris. You know, I consider Chris to be a friend. And I've had him on the podcast before. I, I love Russell. But the other day, this is classic. Chris Russell, and it was brilliant, and it, and it was actually, I I understand that in some ways I was making fun of him, but in many ways I was complimenting him. So, so somebody sent me this story, Russell writes for Sports Illustrated, did you know that, or whatever the new iteration yeah. of Sports Illustrated yeah. is?
1: Yeah, he's like the, the Sports Illustrated editor in charge of Redskins coverage.
0: Right, so... I read this story, and the headline of the story is Snyder, new Redskins GM, question mark. Basically, Tommy, the USA Today, in sort of their draft preview snapshot, you know, where they take all 32 teams, and they're like, Washington Redskins, the head coach is Ron Rivera. Their 2019 record was 3-13. and They hold the number two pick in the draft. Their general manager... And they wrote next to general manager, Dan Snyder, in the little snapshot thing on USA Today. All right. So obviously it's an error, right? Like they, even though in the, look, we all would probably have some inclination to believe that Dan Snyder would love to have the general manager title, but we know he's not the general manager. So Russell takes that little snapshot error and turns it into this whole big thing where he says, I hold on. I, I, let me pull the thing up. Uh, I've checked, I've checked, and I've been told repeatedly that Snyder is not interfering. So he turns this little snapshot error into a story about whether or not Snyder is actually the Redskins' GM and then breaks news on it for himself. He breaks news that he's essentially checked with his sources, and his sources are telling him that Snyder's not actually the GM. I thought it was brilliant. It was, it was perfect Russell. And by the way, for this day and age right now, it's good content. You know, it's a great way to suck people into a story. I just was cracking up reading it. Cause I'm like, this is, this is perfect. This is a Beatrice, you know, this is taking something and turning it into something. That's what it was. And Russell sent me a text after I talked about it on radio and he said, uh, you know, he was laughing and it was funny. And I said, you know, it's meant in, you know, with, with the best of intentions and all, you know, uh, with b- the best of fun. And I, I, I love Russell and he wasn't, trust me, he was not offended at all. Others may have thought that it was something that it, that it wasn't that he didn't think it was either.
1: Okay. Uh, now I now I have an idea of, of what was going on. Look at, Russell has a big beast that he has to feed every day. That sports illustrated thing that he's got going. Yeah. That's a that's a beast that requires feeding every single day.
0: Does he have to write every so, day?
1: Uh I don't know if he has to write every day, but there's a lot of demand right. for content on that that he's in charge of. So yeah, I, 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 I could I could see him doing that. I could see him writing two or three stories about that, you know, even a story about, you know, asking Redskins fans, would you like Dan Snyder? to be your, your
0: general manager. <laughs> Look, we all make it up. I mean, I trust me, nobody, you know, makes up and, and wings it with, you know, when you don't have a lot going on more than you do and more than I do. You've got to write a column, and you and I used to do a radio station every day, and we know what June and July were like, where we'd have to sit down and really be sort of creative to come up with something that we could make people, you know, at least partially care about. I just thought it was funny that the
1: the the measuring stick was to stay away from should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? (laughs) Exactly, that was the measuring
0: stick. right. Or which stay away from that one? Which record will which sports record will never be broken? Yes. Um, you know, what, if you were commissioner for one day, what would you change? (laughs) You know, all of those things like that, you know, which by the way, can turn into interesting conversations, but they're sort of, you know, as my good friend Zabe would say, they're very cliche. I don't do the cliche stuff. Um, they'll leave that for everybody else. But, but I just thought this was hysterical because Russell basically took an error a printing error <laughs> turned it in to him breaking a story and you know breaking news on Dan Snyder not being the GM. I thought it was brilliant, so that's where that came from.
1: Listen, I love Russell too. I've done a lot of shows with him over at, at 106.7, and he's great to do a show with, and uh, I'm a big fan.
0: You know, anybody, and I and I remember this. You know, any how many times would we get uh, a call or a tweet? Or an email that involves something about Russell either positive or negative there's you know what that means that he was certainly and has always made an impression you know and and that's there's a talent in that and to your point, you know he was a good reporter and my, and what I said about him was a hundred percent true Chris was always a great. Teammate, you know, always willing to help, always willing to do anything you asked him to do. Um, And I always appreciated that about him. Um, Anyway, um, there was a story yesterday uh, that floated around about Odell Beckham Jr. being traded to the Vikings. And the Vikings were going to give up a second and a fifth rounder. And basically Mary Kay Cabot out of Cleveland squashed it and said, you know, her sources say that it was completely false, etc., First of all, it would just be hysterical if Stefan Diggs leaves and Odell Beckham Jr. comes in. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if, you know, by the way, uh, Diggs had some very nice things to say about Kirk Cousins in his uh, So Long to Minnesota, Hello Buffalo column in the Players Tribune. Um, I look, there's it's probably true that Diggs was very frustrated at times. And it's probably very true that everybody was frustrated with Diggs and his behavior at times in Minnesota. But my God, I mean, if you're gonna take if you're gonna trade Diggs to make sure there's no disruption and you're gonna trade for OBJ, imagine when Cousins throws the check down to Dalvin Cook with OBJ yeah. screaming on the far sideline that he was open. Um but anyway, um, I was thinking this morning about, okay, so Odell Beckham Jr., maybe it's true. Look, he, he wanted to get traded. He was not, you know, he was a continuing diva in Cleveland, you know, argued with that, that you know, lummox of a coach, Freddie Kitchens, multiple times got, on the side You got
1: taken the task on Twitter for calling him a diva, didn't you? What'd you say? You got taken the task by somebody on Twitter for referring to him as a diva oh
0: yes i did i did yeah oh so you yes. read that yeah because well yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you where is it hold on here for a second um
1: third so i uh, he's he's if if you looked up a diva in the dictionary you'd see what his pictures would be one of them next to it
0: yeah stan on twitter this morning i basically said i'm going to get to what we got to this morning on radio with you because okay. i because I, I think i know what your answer will be and it's going to be fun to listen to it but basically if odell beckham junior is available to be traded why not just trade trent williams to cleveland for odell beckham junior you know they're essentially the same value um but anyway yeah this guy tweeted me this morning if odell is available redskins should trade trent to the browns obj just has one year left in guaranteed cash could lose trent for nothing um I don't recall OBJ having legit teammate issues in Cleveland. Lastly, please stop with the diva tag. Very disrespectful. And I, oh yeah, God. that one got, that one got my attention and I just responded to him. Disrespectful, more like obvious, um, And he did like he argued there were there several moments last year where you see him throwing his helmet off and arguing with Freddie Kitchens, who was a complete and utter lummox, you know, of a coach. Um, He basically there's a report out there that in game last year he told opponents and told opponents coaches trade for me. I want to get out of here. He's the definition of an NFL wide receiver exactly. diva. Exactly. I mean, give me a break. If you don't know that, then then you've not been paying attention. But back to um him to Minnesota, I mean, you know what I think of Kirk. And I just think Minnesota has better options and more reliable options long-term in the draft. They've got two first-round picks. Um but do, but but don't don't mistake that for OBJ, Tommy, is one of the most gifted wide receivers of all time. That is not really that debatable. In terms of his overall talent, it is elite, elite. I mean, there's no reason why, if he weren't a normal human being, that he wouldn't be one of the great receivers, if not the best receiver of this era. You know, even with all the bad teams he's been on, with the dysfunctional situations he's put himself in and he's been a part of, you know, in Cleveland, he's still been incredibly productive. He's a great talent. So, back, I don't see him getting traded to Minnesota. I just don't think they got rid of Diggs to then bring in Odell Beckham Jr. That's my personal opinion. On the Redskins front, would you. As a Redskins fan, and I will ask Tommy as a non-Redskins fan, would you trade Trent Williams straight up for Odell Beckham Jr.? Basically, you know, Trent, the Redskins won a second for Trent, and the report was a second and a fifth for Odell Beckham Jr., so they're they're pretty close in terms of trade value. Would you do it?
1: Okay, I have to split my personality here into two answers. Okay. Uh, As a media member... I would love to see Odell Beckham here with the Redskins. Absolutely. And we could put Dez Bryant on the other side of him, too. I would love <laughs> to have that combination
0: uh,
1: at, to, to write yeah. about. I think it, it, it would be gold, Jerry. As they say, pure gold, Jerry. If I was a Redskins fan, why do I want a loser like that on my team? He's a loser. Like, Dez Bryant was a loser. Like Ter- Terrell Owens was a loser. He's a you're loo- not going to win. He,
0: he's a loser, no doubt. He's, you're right about that. You're not right going to win that.
1: with those guys. You're just not going to win. He, they're not going to be there when you need them when the things are tough for everybody on the team. He's going to be the loudest. He's going to be the loudest squeaky wheel when you need all the wheels to be moving in in the same direction. And you you can't win with those guys. You just can't. I mean, he may be a great talent, but you know i mean the point is the point is to 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 win a championship that's the idea, and he'll never win one, but if he wins one, it will be at the end of his career when he's half the player he is now
0: so you're you're right he's a loser, okay I mean. He signs this massive deal, which was a massive mistake by the Giants. Um, And then he wants out, basically, you know, uh, before the inks even dry on the contract. Um, With that said, so um, he had an absolute, you know, joke of a head coach in Cleveland in Freddie Kitchens. He had to play for the likes of Pat Shermer and Ben McAdoo in New York. Now, he started his career, and by the way, two incredibly productive seasons with Tom Coughlin in New York, in in Coughlin's final two seasons. Um, He's going to turn 28 years old. This would be third team in three years. And he would be playing for a guy that, you know, I don't know if this is true or not, but I would would certainly – Walk out on the limb of saying that Ron Rivera's a a higher quality manager of players and personalities than Freddie Kitchens and Ben McAdoo are. So he would. Be I think pl- that's a reasonable conclusion. <laughs> so he would be playing for his first real coach since Coughlin. Um, he's an outrageous talent. There's no denying that. Uh, he certainly would would you know. Elevate. The Redskins were in the market to upgrade the wide receiver position looking at Amari Cooper. A lot of people think they're going to take one in the draft. Um, and P- by the way, a lot of people say, well, why, why are they looking for a receiver? They had three great rookies last year. Well, they had one great rookie that, last year. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, come on. Yeah, I mean, let's. let's not crown
0: Steven yes.
1: Sims and, and, and all these guys. They haven't done anything.
0: Exactly. I mean, I really like Terry McLaurin. He looks like a a real number one NFL wide receiver, but I'm not about to say that Terry McLaurin's going to be an elite wide receiver, game changer, a Julio Jones, you know, kind of guy. Although he's really talented, you know, McLaurin, and by the way, McLaurin is really, according to everybody, smart, thoughtful, great teammate, class act to go with, you know, 4-3-4-4 speed and decent size and great route running ability. I'm really bullish on McLaurin. I I really like Kelvin Harmon, but he's a number two. I like Steven Sims Jr. as a slot receiver. I even like Trey Quinn a little bit as a a slot receiver. But beyond that, bottom line is the team thinks they need to upgrade weapons for Dwayne. And there's no denying that if you brought in um, Odell Beckham Jr., there's nobody on the roster that would have his talent other than maybe Chase Young if you draft him, you know? I mean, he's got that kind of talent. Now, would I do it? I would, for the same reasons you said, I think it would be really intriguing. And then I would consider it more seriously with with Ron Rivera as the head coach. Um, And, by the way, not a bad sort of, hey, let's trade Trent Williams. we got to get rid of him anyway. And this could be a one-year deal with... uh, with Beckham Jr., if it doesn't work, we can try to trade him next year, you know, and, and pick up whatever we can. I mean, his trade value at that point, if it's a fourth team in four years, isn't going to be very high. But my my opinion as to what the team would think about it is absolutely not. There is no chance that they will do this. They've gotten rid of Josh Norman. They got rid of Quentin Dunbar who ran his mouth. They want Trent Williams out of Dodge. There's no way that in this current mode of trying to change the culture which is what Ron Rivera is really focused on that he's going to bring in Odell Beckham Jr. for Dwayne Haskins eighth start there's no way that there's no chance I Exa-
1: exactly I mean you know the last thing this quarterback needs is a wide receiver screaming at him on the sideline that's the last thing Dwayne Haskins needs
0: that's- hey Tommy For this year. Dwayne Haskins just tweeted out a picture of him throwing to Odell Beckham Jr. in a redskin uniform. Of course. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Uh, Now, would it it surprise you? No, it wouldn't surprise me.
1: I've stopped paying attention to to Dwayne's uh, Twitter (laughs) account. I mean, I've just stopped. Apparently, a couple weeks ago, maybe not long ago, he retweeted the uh, selfie picture. Or Instagram he Instagram he, I mean.
0: he did he, 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 oh you just reminded yeah. me of something about that
1: yeah yeah i don't I don't know I didn't pay attention to it I just saw somebody reference it I don't know why he felt the need to do that you know but he he, he did that so uh, he must be pretty proud of it
0: i'm going to I'm going back to find it because you just reminded me of something somebody tweeted something to me where is that picture that he tweeted out? Um. Yeah, he retweeted a picture of himself taking the selfie out of the after the Detroit game, and there was something written there, and I'm forgetting what it was now. So I apologize. Yeah, but,
1: I mean, I I, I didn't even, I barely paid attention. To so it.
0: I, yeah, so a lot of people, a lot of people are like, why would he do that? Like, you know, this is does he not? And and, I'm, and and I brought it up, I think, on the radio show, maybe not here, but I just wanted to mention that somebody got in into it on Twitter with me. They were relentless. I don't even think I responded because I, I was going to respond on the podcast or on the radio show, and I, I, th- I don't think I have, and said, that's not the Detroit game. And I'm telling you, there's a picture in the background of the, the, um, the, the scoreboard, the thin scoreboard that goes around the, the stadium at the mid-level that says Redskins versus Lions on it. So it was the Detroit game. It was the selfie he took after the Lion game. And I, I can't I, – I don't have an explanation as to why he would retweet that. Um, I don't. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm done trying to keep up with, you know, the social media – um, you know, lives of of, of these athletes um, and and what they really mean and and how insecure it really makes them. I know what my impression is; it never matches up with everybody's impression. It's so I think it really is. It's almost like it's it's almost like an age thing with with uh, social media. I, I I had Sean Springs on the show last week, Tommy, and I asked him about. Dwayne on social media and does he ever you know talk to him about it because Sean Springs is is a real mentor to Haskins and has been since he was 12 years old and a friend of the families and Sean Springs and it's true if you follow Sean Springs on Twitter he's just not active Sean Springs isn't active on social media because I don't really even know what you're talking about I don't really follow him on social media and he said but I have told him that you know The best, you know, sort of expression you can make is with your play on the field, but it's it's generational.
1: I I know, but that doesn't make it right, (laughs) you know. But But it also does. But it also doesn't make it it harmful. No, well, you don't know what it translates to inside a locker room. That's what we don't know, one way or or the other. I mean, we don't know how uh, other Redskins wide receivers. Uh, you know, would feel about their quarterback uh, Instagramming photos of him playing with another, with a rival
0: who's not
1: on the team, you know? So we don't know how that translates in the locker room.
0: Yeah, he did that with Stefan Diggs. I
1: mean, Diggs. If, if, if they're human beings, I would think it's not translating very well. But again, I don't care anymore.
0: I don't care. Yeah, I mean... So if he what...
1: tweets out a picture of him and Odell Beckham... Or Instagram it, I, I could care less.
0: But you know, you, you're forgetting we we did this, you know, a month ago when he sent the picture out with him throwing to Diggs in a Redskins uniform. And we both agreed that how would, you know, I gave you the example. I said, how would he feel if Terry McLaurin Instagrammed out a picture of Jameis Winston throwing McLaurin a pass in a redskin uniform? And people, you know, people sort of snap back. First of all, there's a big difference between receivers and quarterbacks. There's only one quarterback. There are multiple receivers. Secondly, this is what they do. You know, they, they want the team to be better. They're all about team. I'm like, okay, well, how about just win some games first, you know? How about produce on the field for a couple of years, and then we can Instagram out, you know, recruiting letters or recruiting, you know, um, social media posts. It's not his job to play GM in the first place, um, but whatever. It, it bothers us. It doesn't bother a lot of people. I'm sort of over it now to a certain degree. I'm sure he'll do something or somebody will do something in the next month or so that will just will be all over. But it really it does get old, and it really is a matter of perspective in terms of how you, you know, how you react to these things.
1: Yes, that said, what's right is right, and what's not is not. And uh, you know that that selfie picture should be a moment of shame and embarrassment for him, not one to glorify.
0: Was his first win?
1: Yes, it was. So why not a picture of him? leading the drive down the field that led to the game-winning field
0: goal. <laughs> he said the game-winning field goal with such condescension. He actually – you know I thought he played great in that game at the end. I
1: thought he did too. Uh, I, I thought he did too. Yeah. I did.
0: So – um, you know,
1: I, I mean, come
0: on. Yeah. By, by the way, so I, I, I'm forgetting if we did this on Tuesday. I don't think we did. Have you seen anything out there that talks about Ron Rivera's contract in, ter- in terms of how much money he's earning per year? Not a,
1: not a, not a word.
0: I haven't either. Of anybody.
1: Now, we know Jay Gruden made $5 million, $4 million, $5 million a year. I thought,
0: I thought Gruden because was $5 I million. thought
1: it was a five-year, $20 million deal, which is $4 million a year.
0: Yeah, but I mean, when they gave him the it, extension, it, didn't, it, didn't it bump up a little bit or not? Maybe you, I don't you know. You could be right.
1: I don't know. Okay, let's assume five million a year. So you, you got to figure Rivera's making more than that, right?
0: Definitely, definitely. Maybe
1: seven million a year. Y- you're seven y- seven million a year.
0: You're right. By the way, the, the original contract was five years, twenty million, and then the extension was still at four million dollars per year. Okay, so okay, um, uh, it's so that everybody in the top ten basically makes close to eight million a year in the NFL.
1: Yeah. No, it's got to be between maybe $7 million. And how long? Do we know how long?
0: Well, yeah, that was, that's been reported that it's a five-year deal. Okay. I mean, is it a
1: true five-year deal? An absolute 100% five-year deal?
0: I can't imagine it's it, not. A, a, I can't imagine I, that. I can't Ron imagine Rivera, it's yeah. not. I mean, because Matt, Matt, Matt Rule. People
1: forget Zorn was a five-year deal, but it really
0: wasn't. Yeah, it was like, when they
1: announced Zorn, it was a five-year deal.
0: Um, Matt Rule's contract is going to pay him eight and a half million dollars per year. He's in the top ten of NFL head coaches as a, as a first-time out of college head coach in Charlotte. There's no chance that Rivera is making less than eight million a year. It's got to be. Clo- I think you're right. I think it's, it's got to be. I think it's got to be in that area of like, you know. I think Belichick, Carroll, and Gruden are all like ten million or north of ten million, and maybe Peyton is too. It's got to be just below that, barely below that. Yeah, if it's I'm... It's, it's
1: you're right. I think you're right. It's got to be eight million or more.
0: So, um, I, I went back yesterday and just talked about. The comments that he had about Dan Snyder just over a week ago in that press conference, where you know he said, you know, basically he's updating Dan on a daily basis or every other day, that Dan doesn't want to be laissez-faire, he he doesn't want to be hands-off anymore like he was you know, um, essentially having convinced Rivera that basically Bruce was running the organization for the last 10 years, and it was Bruce's fault, you know, which is essentially what he did during that introductory press conference um, when he introduced Ron Rivera, is, you know, culture change, you know, essentially Bruce's fault. And with Bruce, you know, it's like Jay's fault. You know, it's never their fault, um, nobody's fault, but someone else's. Like like
1: all, all that time, all that drinking time that Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder spent together, what were they talking about? TV shows?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but then there was a a question in follow-up to him saying, and, you know, Rivera said, you know, Dan just wants to be kept in the loop and, you know, uh, he's giving us all the tools we need to win, you know, which is what every single coach has ever said about Snyder. He wants to win so desperately he's going to give us everything we need to win. Um, Really? Well, nobody was able to make it work. But then the follow-up question to that had to do with, you know, a timeline for turning it around. And the question specifically dealt with, you know, uh, you know, addressing the fans as to the timeline. And, um, you know, and, and his answer was, quote, um, I do know that it's got to happen soon. I can tell you that much. I understand I get that part of it, closed quote. So... My question would be, how long does he get? Like, by by the way, just as a quick aside on the conversation about Snyder, you know what? I'm totally fine with Snyder getting daily updates, Snyder being in the loop, as long as... Somehow I could be assured as a fan that Dan is not going to get involved in any football decision, that it's Ron's decision that stands. You know, if there's a debate among the football people, whatever Ron says is what we're doing. You know, get your updates to Snyder. Make him feel good that you've kept him in the loop. But, you know, and make sure that he's totally supportive of everything you do. And I want that for a minimum of three years, a minimum of three. You know, and I don't. I don't know if Dan can do it, especially if they're not winning. But I I think you know you got to give from if you're an owner standpoint, you got to stay the hell out of this thing. And hopefully, he had the come to Jesus moment sitting in his stadium that was four fifths empty for most of the year. Um, But how long does Rivera get? What's what's a legitimate amount of time before they have to be? Let's just say for the for the purposes of this conversation, a playoff team.
1: Okay, who are you talking about? The fans or Snyder?
0: I'm talking about Snyder really. Because the fans don't uh, have a say in it.
1: He's got to I I give him I give him a year.
0: Oh come on. No, a year. You think Dan's only gonna give him one year?
1: Before he starts that one? Yeah, and a that's year. the.
0: And by the way, let me, You just said it. That uh, make sure I'm clear on this. It's not about firing him. It's about before Dan decides. Oh Jesus, I got to get involved again. You think only a, a year? year.
1: Oh, Listen, I wrote this column when when Rivera got hired. His his only path to success with Snyder is the Joe Torre's George Steinbrenner
0: path, R- right?
1: Where Joe Torre became. So, so, won a World Series his first year and became so powerful and so popular that Steinbrenner couldn't interfere with him, that Steinbrenner became the, the less powerful person in the public eye. And Joe had the power of public opinion behind him, which was real important.
0: Did the Yankees ever sink to the depths of what this Redskin organization has sunk to?
1: Well, listen, they didn't go to a playoff from 1981 to 1990, 95, 96, 95. They went to the wild card. 14 years for the Yankees. I mean, I think that might be the longest span they ever went. I mean, they, went, they were in the World Series in 64, and they went again in 76. So that's 12 years. I don't think there was a span. So the Yankees under Steinbrenner, had their longest stretch.
0: What about without, fan without support, though, postseason? Tommy? What about fan, fan support? support
1: would get, fan support would be more generous and more reasonable.
0: Uh, uh, my, playoff you, team. You mean I, I not not, they, not comparable to what the fall off for the Redskins has been? Right. Okay.
1: Right, but... uh Because
0: it's really important I, to point out, it's not just the four-fifths empty stadium. It's the fact that on television locally, this team has been abandoned for all intents and purposes over the last couple of years. Snyder's felt this worse than I think Steinbrenner felt it.
1: Well, Steinbrenner, well, I, mean, was, I mean, we talk about Snyder and how competitive he is, and that's just... A, ridiculous how competitive he is steinbrenner was competitive steinbrenner was a football coach owning a baseball team okay i don't care how competitive snyder is in business i've never had the competitive uh fever that, that 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 uh that uh steinbrenner had so i mean they're two different animals in that sense i think fans would uh i think you know after two years, I think you got to make the playoffs if you're a fan. If you're Snyder, you got to make it after one year, or else you know, I'm, or else I don't want you messing with my quarterback anymore. Or I think we should take this guy. No, I like this guy, uh, and we should sign this guy. I think I think Rivera has a year, a year to to uh, <laughs> of of, of, of great. Yeah. Why
0: is that unreasonable? It's it's not. I'm not saying it's unreasonable. It's just not my prediction. It's not unreasonable. I can't say that it's unreasonable because there is a context where that happens. And the context is this. They go 4-12. and 12. Dwayne is horrible, but so is the rest of the team. And Rivera says Dwayne can't do it. He can't do it. We've got to get ourselves a quarterback. If we had had a quarterback last year, we would have been an eight and eight football team. And Snyder says, "No, that wasn't your problem. The problem was your defense with Jack Del Rio, with all that talent that that Bruce and I gave to you from the last few years of the draft wasn't good <laughs> enough." You know, and so that starts a, a big thing, and and all of a sudden Rivera can't you know play the quarterback he wants. You know, I I know some of this seems crazy to some of you. It seems extreme. It's it's probably not. I actually think it's extreme after a year, but could I see him, you know, being disappointed and, you know, because look, the fans aren't coming back until the, until, and who knows if the fans are going to be able to come back at all anyway on, uh, in terms of, of live gate, but if there is a live gate opportunity, they're not coming back until this team puts together a win streak. They're not coming back just for Ron Ron Rivera. The Redskins, I don't believe, have sold a bunch of new tickets because they hired Ron Rivera, even though, by the way, Tommy – If you talk to people in the organization, you know, going back to January and February, oh, my God, how about Dan pulling off that coup of being able to get Ron Rivera? And I like Ron Rivera. But, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of the reaction from people in the organization is the typical back-slapping of each other about how they've just, you know, they've just pulled off an incredible feat that didn't have anything to do with games during the football season.
1: I know. But he did, he did Look. He did come up with with maybe the, the best coach out there uh, available. I mean, you got to you got to give him credit for being able to pull that off. I do. Uh, and it, it sounds like Joe Gibbs was the main reason that that happened. Uh, that that Joe Gibbs gave the selling uh, uh, sales pitch to Ron Rivera, and I wonder if Ron Rivera will hate Joe Gibbs a year from now.
0: <laughs> Not if he's making nine ten million a year. You know, I mean, who knows? For all we know, and maybe that's why we haven't heard about the money, Tommy. I'm very intrigued about the money. Um, Because if it's like at the top of the list, well, there's another reason he took the job. Yes. You know, if it's a lot more than the Giants would have offered or the Cowboys would have offered... You know, he can say, I like the roster and, you know, Gibbs and the whole thing. And I think there's some truth to that. I'm not, I'm not minimizing that. But if you hear that he's making $10 bucks a year, which is the Gruden contract, although that was for 10 years, the John Gruden uh, contract in Oakland slash Vegas, um, then that would probably, you know, be at, at near the top of the list as to why Dan was able to, you know, get a Ron Rivera. And it, you know, and they did get them. They overachieved on the hire. I would love to know what the money yeah. is. I'd love to know what the money is. Yeah. Um, last, yeah, last thing, um, Sunday night, uh, the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance debuts, 9 o'clock, uh, 9 o'clock Sunday night on ESPN. I think it's a 10-part series called The Last Dance. You looking forward to this or not?
1: Not that much. Look, I'm curious, what's your, what's your golden era of pro basketball? NBA bad.
0: Magic, magic Bird 80s.
1: Yeah. I mean my golden era are the Knicks of the 70s.
0: Uh
1: you know for I mean Michael Jordan as as great as he was it's just not it's just not the era I was most excited about the NBA. I was excited about the NBA. I loved the NBA when when Jordan uh, ruled. But in terms of my high height of my interest it's it's not my wheelhouse. You know, so I'll I'll watch it. I'll be intrigued by it, uh, and I, I, I'm not saying that what we accomplished wasn't great. It just didn't mean as much for me as for an era, as for another generation that grew up with Michael Jordan as NBA basketball. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. I'll be watching it, but not like I would like when they did Magic Bird, or not like I would if they talked about those Knicks teams of the '70s. It wouldn't have the same impact for me because at certain stages of your life, things have a bigger impact on you. You know, you could, I mean, it's it's just a, a, a different era for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because if you ask me about, you know, an era in football, I'm going to give you the era in which my favorite team was winning and contending for Super Bowls. And I just gave you the 80s where my favorite team was irrelevant, you know. Um, and they were re- irrelevant for a long period of time. But I loved the NBA. I it, Let me just tell you that college basketball in the 80s, that was the best era for college basketball. It was an incredible era. You know, the 80s in general for basketball was phenomenal. You had yes. incredible college basketball. College basketball was flat out more popular than the NBA really in the 80s, 90s, probably, you know, the, the early 2000s. Um, and now the NBA, and I re- it's been the LeBron era, really, that's sort of elevated the NBA to to a level above college basketball. There's a lot of other reasons for it. And we've gotten into those in the past, but I loved the NBA in the '80s. Magic was my guy. And I loved staying up and watching those Laker games during the postseason. You know the late night games on CBS or you know or, or the other networks to see those playoff games to see Magic and Worthy and Kareem and Coop and, and you know, Rambus. It
1: wasn't even it wasn't even just the Lakers and the Celtics. I loved the Pistons, those Moses Malone, 76 Of course,
0: teams. yes. I
1: loved those Elizawans uh Rockets team.
0: Well well the eighties are oh, this s- well the no the eighty the the eighties you had Samson and Elijah one, but Elijah One hey, won those two right. titles in the two Jordan baseball years.
1: Right, right. the, the baseball but I, loved, I loved, there, there were a lot of great teams in the eighties that I loved watching besides the Lakers and the Celtics.
0: No doubt. No, you're right. And you know you ended up with basically, you know, Lakers versus Celtics or Lakers versus Sixers. Um, with the Rockets in there a couple of times in 81 against the Celtics in Larry Bird's first title year and then against the great 86 Celtics. When that Rockets team, when Ralph Sampson actually hit a shot at the buzzer in game five in the forum uh, to pull off what was a huge upset that year um, to get the Rockets into the NBA finals uh, against uh, against the Celtics. But it was the same group of teams until the Pistons emerged in the East, you know, Um, and in the West, really, it ended up sort of being a hodgepodge going into the 90s after Kareem retired, even though the Lakers made a title. Um, and got to the finals with you know um, with 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 uh, with Magic and AC Green and some of those teams, but the you know in the East it was Sixers or Celtics pretty much for the entire decade of the '80s. The Bucks were always good with you know Junior Bridgman and uh, Sidney Moncrief and and those teams, but they never made the finals ever. I think yeah. I might be right about this. I think in the 1980s. Um, only the Celtics and the Sixers made the NBA Finals out of the East. Am I right about that? Oh, the Pistons did eventually at the end of the decade. I think so. <laughs> that was a slow reaction there. Um, I'm trying to – I'm I'm pulling it up here for a second because I actually want to see if I'm right about that. 80 was Lakers-Sixers. That, of course, is the magic for Kareem in Game 6 in the Spectrum where he played center and scored 42. Then it was Celtics-Rockets. Then it was Lakers-Sixers. And that uh, and then it was uh, Lakers-Sixers again, the Moses Malone year when the Sixers won it. Then it was Celtics-Lakers, Lakers-Celtics, Celtics-Rockets, Lakers-Celtics. And then the Pistons in 88 and 89. So, yeah, it was the 76ers and the celtics for the first eight NBA finals of the 80s, and then the Pistons snuck in there. And then, of course, you know, the Pistons essentially replaced the Celtics, and then the Bulls replaced the Pistons. And, by the way, I had Scott Brooks on the radio show on Monday, maybe, or maybe last Friday. I can't remember um, now. And I just talked to him about his playing career. You know, he was on the 94 Rockets title team. You know, and and he said, I mean, I, those were the two years, obviously Jordan was playing baseball and Hakeem Elijah on, right. you know, in company led that team, uh, to a title. And he was a part of that team. You know, he, he wasn't a, a big contributor in the postseason. Um, but, you know, that team with Elijah Wan and Kenny Smith and, you know, Ori and Ellie and Cassell, um, he said Sam Cassell and Vernon Maxwell were characters on that team, but he said Elijah Juan was just incredible. I've always felt Elijah Juan is, is brutally underrated when it comes to the center conversation. You know, like you would put Willis Reed ahead of him. I don't even think Willis Reed is in the same category of, of Elijah Juan.
1: You're right. Elijah Juan is not in the same category as Willis Reed.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, what else you got? You sound like you're running out of gas.
1: Yeah, I am, boss. All right, Actually, go. I'm gonna what I'm going to do today, this is the first time I've done this. We're going to get together uh, with our oldest son for a social distance walking uh, afternoon.
0: That sounds like a uh, nice night day.
1: W- w- we haven't seen him since uh, the second week of March. So uh, we're going to get together for that. Otherwise, I mean, we really haven't interacted with anybody at
0: all. (laughs) That's what makes these appearances on the podcast so important. Um, (laughs) All right, thanks. Uh, Have a good weekend, and I will talk to you next week.
1: All right, boss. Take care.
0: All right, that's it for the day. Uh, We got nothing uh, left. Uh, We'll focus more on the draft, obviously, when we get to next week. um, So tune in for that. Uh, Stay safe. Stay healthy. Enjoy your day back tomorrow.